Locked On NBA, the biggest stories, the local experts. Every Monday, we dig into the biggest stories in the NBA with the Locked On Podcast Network hosts. Today, we'll go to New York to speak with Gavin Shaw of Locked On Knicks about the fallout from the Kristaps Porzingis trade. We'll go to New Orleans to speak with Jake Madison of Locked On Pelicans about the latest in the Anthony Davis scenario and what the Pelicans will do for the rest of this season. And lastly, we go to Dallas to speak with Nick Angstadt of Locked On Mavs about how that Dallas fan base has uh, received Porzingis after the news of the trade and the uh, the removal, I guess, from the roster of Dennis Smith Jr. It's all coming up. The biggest stories with the local experts on Locked On NBA. You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hi guys, we're back with another episode of Locked On NBA. You might be listening to this while the Super Bowl's on, and if your team was playing in the Super Bowl, I hope that they won. I don't know the result at this point because we're recording it before the Super Bowl actually goes to air, but you're here to talk about NBA. I am your Monday Locked On NBA host, Josh Lloyd, also the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Make sure you find me on Twitter at RedRock underscore Beeble. Lots of trades, trade rumors, big franchise-changing decisions being made across the NBA at the moment. We're going to cover all that in today's show. So let's get to it. Let's bring in now the host of the Locked On Knicks podcast. Gavin Shaw is here to talk about uh, what's been a relatively interesting week, I guess, in Knicks basketball. Gavin with Kristaps Porzingis being traded off to the Dallas Mavericks in exchange for DeAndre Jordan, Wes Matthews, Dennis Smith Jr. and those two future first round draft picks. We, we're recording this on uh, on Sunday for the uh, for your Monday edition of Locked On NBA. So we've seen some of these new guys now in action, Gavin. So we'll start with that side of things. How did you, I guess the major piece is Dennis Smith. How did, uh, how did Dennis Smith look in his first game as a member of the New York Knicks? You know, he had an excellent game, and he, he was a guy I was really high on going into the draft. Um, haven't necessarily been all that impressed with his first year and a half in the NBA, but you, you can't really complain about his first game as a Nick. He essentially did everything right. He, he didn't necessarily force anything with the basketball, made decision after decision predicated on what the defense gave him. Um, one particular play that stood out was um, him kind of bursting into the lane and then um, someone on the Grizzlies, I think it was Marcus Gasol, came over and helped defense. And he's just in the middle of a Euro step. And he had the foresight and I guess just the sheer strength to zip a pass into the corner for an open three. And that's the kind of read that I didn't really see him make a whole lot as a rookie. And if he can continue to do that, I could see him genuinely turning into a productive point guard jump shot or no jump shot. Though obviously if that comes along, that's the difference between him being a long-term starter in the NBA or just kind of an explosive athlete off your bench. DeAndre Jordan came in, started straight away for this team. A lot of people assumed that when uh, Jordan and Matthews were included as part of the trade, they'd be bought out. But the, the word from the front office is that they don't. Uh, no, no real talk of that at this point. They they want to use them to uh, to mentor some of the players, which of course elicited an interesting response from Ennis Cantor. Jordan came in, started straight away at center. Does this do anything to perhaps you know, limit the development of Mitchell Robinson? Um, I don't believe so, though I, I guess it's a little bit of a concern because there have been points this season where David Fisdale has strangely prioritized playing his veterans over the younger guys. But simultaneously, um, in recent weeks, obviously, he benched Ennis Cantor. And I I know Cornette and Jordan were the center rotation for this game, but I almost feel like that was a first game courtesy 
to Jordan. And I would hope at least going forward that Robinson remains part of the rotation because he's frankly, especially with Kevin Knox not playing all that well in recent weeks, been the most exciting part of watching Knicks games at this point. And I think over the course of this season, obviously they're well out of, out of playoff contention at this point. Um, I could see, I think Jordan's minutes are going to go down and Robinson will sort of stick somewhere around the 15 to 20 he's been getting. Yeah, I think that I think they'd like to. Well, I would hope that they would like to move Cornet out of that rotation as well. If, they, if they're going to stick with Jordan, just run with Jordan and Robinson. Of course, Robinson was out of today's game, so it's hard to get a full idea of how that would have worked. Wes Matthews came in; he played 28 minutes off the bench. I wouldn't say it was the uh, greatest of uh, of debuts for a new team, as he shot two of eight from the field and didn't do a huge amount else there. And they've got some other interesting wing guys like Damian Dotson, uh, Alonzo Trier as well. But both those guys saw their minutes cut back so that Wes could play his 28 minutes, which is. I guess a little bit concerned, but maybe as you said, it is just that first game uh, you know, courtesy to these new guys. But let's talk about the player who did leave this team. That is Kristaps Porzingis. It um, it wasn't a great exit, I, I guess, from uh, the Knicks' perspective. A lot of Knicks fans have uh, have turned on him. I've, I've been seeing across the old social media. What's the uh, the general vibe you're getting from Knicks fans about this Porzingis um, departure? Are they disappointed that he's gone? Are they upset with the franchise, or are they more you know angry at Porzingis for you know, potentially forcing his way out and towing the company line in that respect? Yeah, you know, Josh, I think you actually hit at almost what's the most surprising and, and in a way fascinating part of this deal for me is the way Knicks fans have responded because. My immediate response was, and, and I've um, just for some context, I grew up in New York City. I've been a Knicks fan essentially my whole life, and um, I'm only 23 years old, so I've generally only experienced disappointment. And in my mind, this was kind of the crowning jewel of that trading away the best prospect you've had since Patrick Ewing, which was 35 years ago at this point, and getting back um, Caprum <laughs> essentially with, with some other theoretically interesting pieces in the mix, but. I would say this has been a very successful campaign by Nick's PR, who has been in the media for, I guess, less favorable reasons of late. But uh, Nick's fans are mostly angry with KP. That's been the focus, and that's been surprising to me because I'm totally of the opposite perspective where either you can blame this on the front office in the context that they didn't necessarily have to save, trade him and they still had some leverage um, with him having to give up nearly $150 million if he had decided to take the qualifying offer next season and just be a year away from free agency, or the fact that um, their past poor decisions such as signing Tim Hardaway to a massive deal, signing Joakim Noah to a massive deal, firing Chris Stapps' favorite coach, uh, trading away his best friend on the team and Billy Hernan Gomez were somewhat precedents to him allegedly demanding this trade. But the way the Knicks front office has painted it is this was entirely Chris Stapps kind of being unreasonable and just coming in and demanding a trade because on the surface, this is kind of the best position the Knicks have been in in years because they finally gotten off the treadmill of mediocrity and decided to tank. So I know there's a lot I'm throwing at you, Josh, but generally I would call this a win for Knicks PR because Knicks fans are largely against Chris Stapps more than they are against the front office. I agree that it is a win for for uh, for New York and the Knicks PR, but I'm uh, I want to switch that on its head because I think it's absolutely terrible the way that it's been um, put out there in the media. The, the the impression that people are getting that that Porzingis came in and demanded this trade, he may have come in and said, "Well, you know, let's move on," but that's clearly not the case because they had trades set up. All, all these trades were already organised. They, they said they had eight or nine different deals discussed already. They already had this Mavericks deal in the works, and then Porzingis comes in and is like, "I'm not so, so sure." And how I feel about the direction of this franchise, and an hour later, it's done. Like this was all set up in advance. They claim that 
they wanted to move on from Porzingis because he wasn't, you know, committed to the, the. He wasn't. They weren't sure he was going to sign a contract when they were the ones who didn't offer him the contract at the beginning of the season, anyway. So there's so much contradictory information coming out. But it, it appears to me that yeah, a huge percentage of Knicks fans are are really just angry at, at Porzingis, which seems completely baffling. The disconnects seem pretty clear to me. Like when you know, Fizdale comes out, oh, Porzingis isn't even running, and then he he puts out that. Instagram video of him sprinting up an hour later. Like there was clearly things that the Knicks were doing that were uh, untruthful in terms of how he was uh, going about things. And I think this is another another example of that. Maybe I'm wrong on a few of those things, but uh, it, it it does not um, come across very well to me from the Knicks. But it seems to have convinced a bunch of people. Yeah, and you know it, what what's stunning to me that it's so convincing is the Knicks have this track record of media manipulation. Obviously, like one of the bigger stories in, in sports right now, or, or at least in, in New York sports, is that um, Stefan Bondi, I believe of the New York yep. Daily News, I hope I'm remembering that correctly, yeah, right. um, wasn't allowed to be in a call with Steve Mills following the trade due to his unfavorable coverage of the team. And, and this is just a classic James Dolan, Jimmy Dolan move to kind of manipulate media coverage and try and paint it in his team's favor to the point that they prioritize that over winning. To some degree, but I mean, personally, I'm 100% with you, Josh, and I'm I'm kind of stunned that Knicks fans have perceived it this way, and a lot of Knicks media as well, at least um, on the blog level. I think some of the national guys or, or some of the newspaper guys are more with us on this, that KP is somewhat less to blame. Um, and I think either way you paint it, even if it's Porzingis allegedly being unreasonable, again, the circumstances have been so far against him from the beginning, and he's had to deal with so much BS. And the Knicks have been doing this for 20 years now. It's not like they were this model organization that suddenly screwed up. So I'm just kind of stunned by the overall reaction to this. And I I mean, I guess ultimately it'll play out over the summer. I believe they'll get Kevin Durant and a Kyrie Irving second star to come with him or they won't and Knicks fans will know the truth at that point I'm really interested to hear uh, Porzingis uh, when he because eventually he's going to you know, bring out his side of the story. He keeps teasing it via the Instagram story feature, and he keeps putting things out there, and eventually there's going to be a lot of stuff come out, and that's going to be really interesting. But it has been really a, uh, a very uh, eye-opening look into a, a media manipulation, I guess, of, of a fan base or convincing them and doing it so successfully. And it has been yeah, quite uh, stunning to me. But you know, getting uh, some opposite uh, points of view across here on Locked On NBA, Gavin will have had all of this covered for you guys over on Locked On Knicks. So thanks for jumping on Locked On NBA and talking a little bit of Puzingus and the Knicks with me, Gavin. Yeah, really appreciate it, Josh. Excited to see how this all turns out. I'm joined now by the host, the overworked host of the Locked On Pelicans podcast. Jake Madison is here. Jake, we've all heard about the Anthony Davis trade scenarios. We've all heard about the trade request, all that sort of stuff. Where are we at at the moment with this situation, the trade deadline just a few days away? What's the latest on the Anthony Davis situation? Yeah, you know, there's been no real update, no real movement. I think the Pelicans are, as they said in the statement they put out to the media after the public trade request from Anthony Davis, that they are taking their time, they're in no rush, and they're going to do what's in the best interest for the franchise. And honestly, that's probably waiting until the summer, until the Boston Celtics can get into the bidding officially and put together an official trade package for Anthony Davis. You know, I think they're also maybe waiting to see what the Knicks end up with in the draft lottery. So all of that means we're just kind of sitting around talking about a lot of things that likely won't come to fruition before Thursday's trade deadline, though I wouldn't entirely rule it out. So right now we're just kind of, they're fielding offers, seeing what's out there, and they're going to make the best decision for the franchise in the future. 
Do you think that Davis will be moved by Thursday? No, I you know I think maybe if the Lakers come through with something like all five of their young core guys plus multiple first round picks plus pick swaps just to have in there, maybe something gets done. I think this is one of those things where Anthony Davis is so good, teams might still take a chance on a rental. And you know, if you don't like that Lakers core group, which you know from what I've heard is the the Pelicans aren't enamored with it, they don't hate it, but they're not kind of thrilled about some of the offers that have been coming from the Lakers. That they're just going to wait. So because of that, I don't see a move being made before the trade deadline. We've heard all these situations that seem to be you know, coming from the uh, clutch sports camp and seemingly to push. The, the Pelicans to make that trade with the Lakers talking about Anthony Davis's dad not wanting him to go to Boston. Yeah, there's rumors that, that Davis himself isn't interested in going towards Boston, seemingly to try and force this move to happen uh, in this in this coming week. Uh, do you think that's putting extra pressure on the Pelicans front office? You know, I think I'm sure it, it's a little bit. This isn't exactly the best publicity for them. They're not quite happy about the things coming out about there being a sec- them being a second class organization to the Saints and other things like that. So maybe it puts a little bit pressure to get a deal done. But there's a lot of posturing in the media on both sides, and usually when something comes out, it's kind of pretty obvious where they're where the leaks are coming from. I think they're going to kind of dig their heels in this. They're tired of being bullied by the Lakers. I think Gail Benson sees this, the owner of the team sees this as kind of taking a stand for small markets and something that she can maybe rally behind and this team can rally behind. And frankly, their fan base wants them to dig their heels in and not trade Anthony Davis to the Lakers. I've had a lot of people reach out to me say, trade him somewhere else for two second-round picks. Spite is a very strong motivator, apparently. So I wouldn't be shocked if that gets into play a little bit. So because of all of that, I don't think it's really putting pressure on the Pelicans. It's actually making them dig their heels in more. We know that you know this Davis situation is untenable long term. That they took him out of the uh, yeah, the, the team video they play up on the screen, and you can you know, discuss whether or not that's petty or not. Uh, that doesn't really bother me at, at this point. But I guess what we're looking at here is the potential ripple effects of, of a Davis, not only the Davis trade, but a trade request. We're hearing talks of Julius Randle, Nikola Mirotic, uh, Etwan Moore, even Drew Holiday potentially being made available in situations. And there's some pushback that Holiday's not being. Made available, and Drew saying, "Yeah, ninety percent of the reason he signed here is because of Davis." Do you think we're going to see a fire sale type scenario with the Pelicans team, and do you think that they'll get out ahead of it and maybe trade some of these guys now, even if Davis doesn't get moved by the deadline? Yeah, I think they're exploring it. I hesitate to call it a fire sale in the sense that you're giving up these guys for basically nothing. Certainly, Miritich is on the block, Randall's on the block, Etwan Moore's on the block. Absolutely. Um, you know, and I think those guys might have been even on the trade block before this Anthony Davis trade request came about as this team looked to kind of improve even more at the time. And I think they did not see Randall as a good fit next to Anthony Davis. So if they can get back a young prospect or a future first round pick, even if it's a late first round pick or potentially just multiple second round picks, I think those guys are able to be had right now. The Pelicans know they're not going to be competing next year. So there's no point in having Miritich's bird rights, trying to resign him. Randall has a player option, which he's almost a assuredly going to opt out of so as you look to kickstart a rebuild in the future you may as well just accumulate assets and get as much as possible so those guys are certainly on the block i've heard philly's interested in a guy like Miritich. so are the utah jazz haven't really heard who's potentially rumored for randall being that he has that player option i think it makes it a little bit harder to move him you might not get as much in return in terms of drew holiday you know the pelicans will listen if the offer is right and so far no one's coming through with the right offer and that's something that's going to be high they 
they think the world of him. They've seen him grow into a leader over the past couple of years now. He's playing some of the best basketball, probably the best basketball of his career over the past two seasons. He gives his all on the court on offense and defense, something that's kind of rare in today's NBA. Take multiple good future first-round picks to trade for Drew Holiday. Because of that, I don't think you're going to really see anyone give up that much for him. So I expect him to be here next year. But certainly, if the right offer comes through now or in the future, they'll trade him. So there's obviously a big changes here. We're seeing all these guys not playing at the moment. Davis is out. Um, Miritich is out. Randall is out. Moore is out as well. Holiday, the only guy there out of that regular. Alfred Payton is out as well. Holiday, the only guy out of the starting five who's currently playing. And we're seeing some guys step up in their absences. Julia Local for Kenrick Williams. Yeah, putting up some, some pretty strong uh, performances for this Pelicans team at the moment. Do you think that these are sort of guys that, not that they look to build around necessarily, but you know, could be auditioning themselves to be a part of a, a future rebuild on this team? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one of the reasons why this team is anxious about not playing Anthony Davis the rest of the way. Look at what Jaleel Okafor has done over these past six games. And admittedly, it's only six games, it's a small sample size, but he's been starting and he's playing against starting NBA players. He's averaging something, I think it's exactly 20 points and 10 and a half rebounds over his last six, doing it on nearly 70% shooting. He's going to be making $1.7 million next year. That's a guy they're looking to keep. They're going to look to see if maybe he can be the starting center for this Pelicans club next season. Kenrick Williams, the undrafted rookie who's come in, who's played well. He's been rebounding exceptionally well. He's found a three-point shot. He'll be looking to get significant minutes going forward and maybe be a rotation piece next year. And then they've got rookie Frank Jackson who had to sit out all of last year and is now getting significant run for the first time in his NBA career out on the court. He's shown an inconsistent three-point shot, but a lot of athleticism and speed that make you think he's going to be a good NBA player in the future. They want him to just go out in a pressure-free environment like it is now on the team, play some basketball, make some mistakes, learn from that, and kind of maybe accelerate his progression, his growth a little bit. So all of these guys are going to be getting heavy minutes going forward to see if maybe there's someone that's part of the future for this franchise. It is going to be very interesting to see what happens over the next four to five days, whether that means a Davis trade or it's one of these other guys or it's everybody, Miritich, Randall, Drew Holiday, Etwan Moore, who knows what could happen. There's so much uncertainty here with this Pelicans organization, but Jake is going to have all of it covered for you and get you to get all Pelicans fans through whatever does end up happening over the next week and next couple of months as well. Jake, thanks for jumping on Locked On NBA with me. Of course. Thanks for having me on, Josh. Lastly, let's bring in one of the hosts of the Locked On Mavericks podcast. Nick Angstat is here to uh, to talk about uh, the trade that did go down over the last couple of days in Dallas. Of course, we spoke about the Knicks side of it earlier on. Now we're looking at the Dallas side as they acquire Kristaps Porzingis, uh, along with Tim Hardaway and Courtney Lee uh, and Trey Burke, sending out those first uh, two first-round draft picks, Dennis Smith and a couple of expiring contracts in DeAndre Jordan and Wes Matthews. It probably, Nick, makes the Mavericks uh, worse for this season, uh, losing uh, two starters out, out of that uh, out of that mix, but uh, or actually three starters out of that mix. But long-term, this is, this is a long-term play uh, for this Mavericks team. Does it really make them worse? Does yeah, it make the starters maybe. worse? Uh, the starting lineup for the Mavericks had played one it, that five-man unit of Dennis Smith Jr., Wes Matthews, Harrison Barnes, Luka Doncic, and DeAndre Jordan had played more minutes than pretty much any lineup in the NBA 
uh, outside of like nine other units. It was in the top 10, at least in minutes played. And it had one of the only negative net ratings of that whole entire group. It was just a lineup that Rick Carlisle just tried to run into the wall over and over again because all those guys had these different narratives of, as to why they should be starting and contracts, obviously with Wes Matthews and Harrison Barnes and Deandre. And it just, it just wasn't an effective unit together. So switching that up, I think might help them out stopping, you know, force feeding Dennis the ball a lot because he's still a guy that's developing. He's still a young point guard that has to develop and, you know, he's going to make his mistakes obviously. And so feeding him the ball a lot is something that the Mavericks were trying to do, trying to fit Luca and, and Dennis together, which they had some success with, but not a ton. I think getting away from that. And then uh, DeAndre Jordan's defense was something that a lot of Mavs fans understood was terrible. And Clippers fans tried to warn us that it was terrible. But putting somebody like Maxi Kleba into that, that starting lineup, I think will help them on the defensive end, at least in that way. You're right. Jordan's defense has been horrible for a long time. He's barely blocked any shots over the last two seasons. Just not any sort of, uh, he just doesn't have that sort of same effort. But I think you're right. That starting lineup had struggled. But I think what we, we look at is that's, you know, getting these guys like Kleber, like Powell into larger roles, maybe some more Dorian Finney Smith in there. But it's then who comes in and takes the minutes that those guys were playing as the backups. And that's where I guess you run into a little, a little bit more of an issue. And then you're elevating maybe a little bit more Ryan Brokoff. And is that an upgrade over Wes Matthews? And that's, I guess, where some of that, but the Mavs aren't in it for this season. They're not win- looking to win a championship this season or anything like that. And, and acquiring Porzingis is obviously a, a big piece of guy who was an all-star last season. But there is question marks about this deal, Nick. Giving up two first-round draft picks. They're already out one first-round draft pick going to the Hawks. It's an unprotected one going to the Knicks in 2021, then top 10 protected in 2023. So they're banking on this Doncic and Porzingis uh, combination being able to make them into a perennial playoff team. So they're not giving up top 10, top 15 type draft picks. So there's an element of risk there, especially for a guy like Porzingis, who's had some injury concerns and is, of course, coming off an ACL injury. ACL injuries are nowhere near the death knell for someone's career that they were 10, 20 years ago. But it is still uh, an element of risk that, uh, that the Mavs have gone all in on here to try and pair uh, Doncic with a uh, another star like Porzingis. Oh, for sure. This is a, a massive you know move for the Mavericks, obviously, but it also does come with a lot of risk, like you said. The two first-round draft picks are kind of the only picks that they can trade, you know, at this moment it's the only two first round picks because you have the cap where you can't trade i think you can't trade past seven years or six years something like that and you obviously with the step in rule can't trade in consecutive drafts so they had to do every other and so for the next you know five years the mavericks are potentially going to be out you know three you know picks maybe they could be lottery picks the the last one is top 10 protected this one this year is top five protected and then the 2021 pick is is unprotected um, but so there is some risk there. They also got rid of Dennis Smith Jr., which is a guy that they were trying to develop, a guy, a, you know, a top 10 pick himself. And so you, you move all that to, to bring in a guy. But the Mavericks needed to make a move like this. They needed to, to try and get a second superstar. We talk all the time about, well, the Pelicans needed to try to make a move to get to somebody to get somebody to play next to Anthony Davis. We're going to eventually talk about the Timberwolves are going to need to make a move to pair somebody with Carl Anthony Towns. We talked about it with, you know, a whole bunch of a whole slew of guys throughout throughout their their careers. We have to get somebody to, to pair with this guy, and the Mavericks made a huge swing move at a guy that fits so well with him. And we were talking on Lockdown Mavericks the other day about how you know in the future, you know this is even before the Porzingis trade. 
in the future, you want Luca to be able to be a guy that will lure free agents, a guy that will be able to befriend guys around the league, be be around at these all-star weekend type events, kind of like you know what LeBron and Wade did in Bosch, where they all became friends on Team USA, and then they all decide, hey, we want to join up together, or KD and Draymond decide, hey, we want to go join up together. Can Luca be that guy is a question we were asking a lot. And Porzingis would be the, the number one target for a guy that you'd you know that Luca would be able to lure into the Mavericks, and the Mavericks were able to acquire him straight up. Uh, because Luca had had spent some time with him overseas when Porzingis was rehabbing his ACL injury earlier this this uh, this year, I think he was over with Real Madrid when when Luca was playing there, and so he has spent some time there with him. They've obviously played against each other overseas in different you know capacities, but it's a uh, it's pretty wild that all of that kind of came together to become this trade, and now they're teammates. Uh, so it's a huge swing. But uh, could you? think of an, another young big to pair with Luca that would be more perfect than Porzingis. I mean, the pick and pops are just going to be incredible. Yeah, I think we forget how good Porzingis is. We haven't seen him all season, but this is a guy that was you know, averaging comfortably 20 points per game last season. You're know, blocking so many shots and you know, providing that rim protection. He has obviously issues in certain areas of his game. Yeah, that the health and and uh, ability to, to stay healthy is is a concern. And I'm not really worried about him coming back from this knee injury, but it's more just the the, the ankle injury he's had. He's had you know, a few. He really hasn't played a full season yet in the NBA, so that's a level of concern. But you're pairing him with Doncic is going to work well, and we've seen. You touched on it earlier in the team and putting the ball in Doncic's hands more when Smith was out with that uh, hashtag illness that uh, <laughs> Doncic worked so much better in that sort of scenario. Now, I don't know what Carlisle is going to do here necessarily. Will he play a lot more Jalen Brunson in the starting lineup? I would think not. And we just have Doncic running the, the, the show uh, with this team. But that has yeah, really helped uh, Luca's development. And for as well as he started the season, he's getting better and better as the season goes on as the ball is transitioned into his hands more. And I think this move allows that to happen uh, more for him as uh, he works there. So that, that fit with Porzingis, I think, is going to be excellent as the as the as their seasons and their careers continue to roll on. Um, and I do think that in the end, it is probably a well-justified gamble, you know, assuming that these guys are going to be able to push into the playoffs and whether it's in a sixth seed in the, in the next couple of seasons then push higher as they continue to develop so there's an element of risk I think it's a it's a worthy gamble um you know, what's the general Mavs reaction been to it especially you know getting rid of a guy a lottery pick like Smith and those first round picks is there a level of hesitancy or is it just like all in like oh, we've got KP now let's uh let's go and try and build this thing from here there are definitely some crazies. There, there are some people out there that are upset. They think that, you know, Porzingis, I, I saw a guy today call him an inefficient uh, jump shooting big that doesn't work in today's league. And I was very confused about that comment. Um, you know, people always talking about their injuries. And there was a very committed group of Mavericks fans that loved Dennis Smith Jr. so much. I don't know if those, those people are all Knicks fans now, if they just move on with Dennis wherever he decides to go. But very, very committed. We had... We had a, a podcast when the Mavericks played the Magic a month ago, I think, where uh, this is before Dennis Smith Jr. had, you know, s- sat himself out and all this stuff and had quote unquote requested a trade. He didn't actually, but, you know, for all intents and purposes, he did. Where the, the title of our podcast was just, you know, Dennis Smith Jr. for Mo Bamba, who says no? And we were just speculating about the idea. There was no rumors or anything behind it. And Dennis Smith Jr. himself liked the post. Like, like the post of the oh, wow. podcast that I made. And so now everybody's speculating about it and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, saying that uh, some people were saying that I, I started this whole thing. So I don't know if I'm going to take credit for that necessarily, but I may have put the idea in his head to trade him. Well, maybe um, but- if Porzingis works out, you can uh, you can get up there and receive your, uh, get Mark Cuban to get a, a ring specially cut for you. <laughs> so um, 
there's definitely a group of fans that were attached to him and i we got a lot of slack for that uh or a lot of flack for that uh that podcast and that uh that title but but now you know it's moved on and there's also just for just as many people as were attached to dennis jr when are upset that he's traded there's you know 10 times more fans that are excited about porzingis they can't believe this happened this has been a pipe dream you know Mavs trade candidate for a while all the time when we talk about the 2019 class and the mavericks are going to have you know upwards of you know, 80 something million dollars in cap space if Harrison Barnes and Dwight Powell declined their options. And if that happened, people were saying, well, Porzingis is restricted. Porzingis is restricted. And we just kept saying, that's a pipe dream. There's no way that the Knicks are going to let him go. He's restricted. Even if he signs the qualifying offer, he stays there for another year. So we wouldn't be able to get him until after this next season. And so it was just a crazy pipe dream. And then all of a sudden, you know, when the Knicks are involved, any kind of pipe dream or any kind of craziness can happen. And uh, it did. And Mavs fans are ecstatic about it. Yep, and here we are. And now the, the only downside to it, I guess, now at this point is that we just have to wait until Pusingus uh, can get back on the court, which will likely be next season to see how these guys all work together. But of course, you'll be talking about this over on Locked On Mavs throughout the rest of this season, the off season, and then really ramping it up for next season. And when we see, the, most likely we see the debut of Pusingus alongside Luka Doncic. Nick, thanks for jumping on Locked On NBA with me. Thank you very much. And uh, we'll be continuing on Lockdown Mavs. Like you said, we're doing a pod every single day until the trade deadline because I think the Mavs have another move on their hands. It's going to be very interesting to see how that all plays out. Thank you, Nick. That'll do it for another episode of Locked On NBA. Make sure you are checking out all of the podcasts right across our network. And if you've got a smart speaker, that's the best way of being able to find your favorite show. Just tell your smart speaker to play the podcast Locked On and then insert team name there. Locked On Rams, Locked On Patriots, Locked On NFL for your Super Bowl recaps. And of course, all of the individual shows here, Locked On Mavs, Locked On Pelicans, Locked On Knicks for all of the information from a local perspective on those teams and all teams across the NBA. Follow me on Twitter at RedRock underscore Beeble and follow the network on Twitter and on Instagram at LockedOnNBANet. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.